0: The lift is created and shared for free, but there are hard costs associated with its production. To lend your support to the show, please visit support.victoriaslift.com. Supporters of the show get new episodes a few days early, and at $5 a month you'll get access to behind-the-scenes artwork and bonus audio. Support the show you love at support.victoriaslift.com.
1: Society Thirteen Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society 13com I like to listen. <laughs> Welcome to Channel Nine of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Welcome to Season 2 of The Lift. We're glad you've decided to join us for some all new rides on The Lift. We have some great stories for you this season, with more of what you've come to love and some deeper exploration into Victoria's mysterious building. Now, before we get started today, a big hello to our fellow No Sleepers, those coming over from the Wicked Library, and of course, all our longtime listeners. Thanks so much to all of you for listening and sharing the show and for all the wonderful reviews on iTunes. Hearing from all of you means more than you know. As always, a big thank you to Rode Microphones, our season two equipment sponsor. And thanks most of all to all of our Patreon supporters. A lot of time and money goes into making the show special and your support on Patreon allows us to keep the episodes coming. So big thanks to Alyssa G, Christopher Nelson, Diane Student, Donna Seeley, Emily Sherman, Jennifer Clickenbeard, John Grills, Josh Woods, Julie Collins, Kyle Walker, Lizzie Russell, Mike Kenny, and Paul Sading. Today's show features our Amber Collins in two roles, the narrator of the story, and of course, the delightfully impish Victoria. This is the first tale of a story arc that ties together in some very interesting ways if you listen carefully. This episode features music by Tom Rory Parsons whose work you may have heard in two other great podcasts, Jim Robbie and the Wanderers and Small Town Horror. For more info on the production of today's episode and a look at Jeanette Andromeda's companion artwork for today's story, visit us at victoriaslift.com. Now, Because I know you're anxious to hear the story, we'll let KB Goddard say hello and then take a ride to Victoria's Lost Library. Let's go for a ride.
2: Hi, this is KB Goddard, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, The Lost Library. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at kbgoddard.wordpress.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com.
3: It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
0: I have been lucky in my life. I have gained, if I may say so without sounding conceited, considerable success as a writer. And I have married a good man, a man who supports me in my career, but it was so nearly a very different story. My career means I'm often invited to dinners and cocktail parties and the like. It was recently at one such party when someone asked me when it was I decided to become a writer. I made some non-committal answer about always having the desire and eventually falling into it. But that wasn't quite true. Strangely enough, I knew the exact moment. I suppose I always was a writer, really. That is, the inclination was there. But as for the moment I truly decided, well, that's a rather bizarre story one likely to be easily believed. Still, it's a tale worth telling, and I shall tell you about it now. But I can't promise you'll believe me.
2: Let's go for a ride. My name's Victoria. I have lost so much. My name's Victoria. I am bound to this place charged with guiding those who must choose don't be afraid I can never again be the little girl I was will you accept your fate or change I have my music box and a library lost but I sometimes feel very alone won't you join me it's time for your ride on the lift don't be afraid
0: It was 10 years ago, 1925. I was unmarried and still living in my father's house at the time. My father wanted me to marry well, and by well, I mean rich. He was never very keen on the idea of me being a writer, or working at all, in fact. The war had changed things for many people, but not for daddy. A woman of my class could have no ambition beyond marriage. At that time, there was a young man on the scene. Roddy, thoroughly respectable, old money. He was a decent man, really, and I was quite fond of him in a way. Though in truth, he was a bit of a stuffed shirt. He played court to me for several months. Then one day he proposed. In fairness to Roddy, he made it very clear that should I accept him, I must promise to give up any idea of being a writer. He did not consider it suitable that any wife of his should be seen to be working, and furthermore, he considered writing a dubious profession, and more particularly so for a woman. I must take care of the home, see to the raising of the children, and provide a suitable, respectable domestic environment to a man of his status. Well, that made things frightfully difficult, of course, because I wasn't at all sure I wanted to marry, Or even less sure that I wanted to marry Roddy and give up any dreams outside of domesticity. But what could one do? I asked for a week to think about it, which he granted. The offer didn't thrill me, but still, I didn't feel like I could turn it down outright. After all, he was offering stability, security, position. It was the way we were all raised to think, wasn't it? Well, the week passed and I had thought of little else. Then one day the maid announced that Roddy had arrived and was waiting in the drawing room. I knew he'd come for his answer. It might surprise you to know that I decided to accept him. (laughs) Oh yes, I might never have been a writer. For a woman to go out and forge a path alone is not easy. Not when so many doors are barred against you. But here I had an offer of security and stability, and a chance to please my father. I could not justify throwing away such a chance in order to chase mere dreams that may never lead to anything. I went down determined to accept him, but as I lay my hand on the door handle, I felt a moment's irresolution. Had I made the right choice, would I come to regret choosing the safe path? I steeled myself and pushed the door open, ready to face Roddy. To my amazement, I found I was standing not in the drawing room, but in a dimly lit foyer of an unfamiliar building. I stood blinking in wonder, my eyes adjusting to the light and the strange stillness of the place. It occurred to me that perhaps I had fainted and was dreaming. I looked behind me and saw the drawing room door was gone and it had been replaced by heavy looking glass double doors looking out onto a street. I tried the doors but they wouldn't budge. I turned back. To the left was a reception desk and further on a lift. It looked as though the building was at some time a sort of hotel or a block of flats maybe. It seemed deserted now though faint, indistinct sounds came through the half-light, suggesting the presence of other life somewhere. Yet, a layer of dust coated everything, and the place had a slightly stale air that spoke of abandonment and neglect. Why would a fine building be left in such a state? I pinched myself, but I didn't wake up. That won't do you any good, I'm afraid, I heard a voice say. It was the voice of a child, a little girl I don't know how I hadn't seen her before but there behind the front desk was a little girl of about 8 or 9 years of age with a mass of blonde curls held back from her face with ribbons she smiled at me I smiled back
2: why won't it do any good? I asked because you're not asleep of course oh I see I've been expecting you Mabel the girl looked at me knowingly Or would you prefer Mrs. Roderick Stapleton? I was shocked. How did she know my name?
0: How did she know Roddy's name or that I was planning to marry him? But
2: but, but how? I spluttered. Oh, I know all about you. You do? Oh, yes. And who might you be? Oh, but how rude of me. I have not introduced myself. Wait there a moment. Would you please? She said. The girl sank
0: down behind the counter, where she'd evidently been standing on a box or some such thing, in order to see over. A moment later, she was standing in front of me, smiling broadly. She was wearing a purple dress of mid-calf length and lace-up boots more suited to a child 25 or 30 years ago. It occurred to me that perhaps they had been hand-me-downs by thrifty parents. Yet they were well made for all that, and must have cost a pretty penny when new. "'I am Victoria,' she said, bobbing in a polite, if slightly old-fashioned manner. "'Well, I'm very pleased to meet you, Victoria,' I said, still watching the girl curiously. It was odd, but I felt quite at ease with the girl. In her hands, the girl, Victoria, clutched a small musical box.' In the dim light of the foyer, I could see a faint green glow coming from the box. Oh, what a charming music box, I said. May I see? The girl seemed delighted with my interest and stepped
2: towards me. Would you like to hear it play? She asked me. It's rather clever and always knows which tune to play. I said I would like to hear and she began to
0: turn the handle. A wedding march tinkered merrily from the box. The sound filled the empty space of the foyer with the strength and tone that lied the size of the box that made it. But something about the happy tune made me feel pretty rotten. Funny, really. But that was nothing to how I felt when the tune suddenly changed into something far more sinister, and the box began to play what sounded like a funeral dirge. Oh, how frightful! I cried.
2: Hello! I wonder what it means!
0: She said, looking at me as though she expected me to know the answer.
2: Never mind,
0: she said cheerfully.
2: Would you like to go for a ride in my lift?
0: Your lift?
2: Yes, it's rather splendid, and I'm
0: in charge of it. It's my job. She smiled proudly at me. There was something rather endearing about the child. You operate the lift, then? Yes. Do your parents work here, too? She suddenly looked very downcast
2: no they're not here it's just me just then there
0: was a metallic clanking sound as the lift arrived victoria brightened up step this way please i followed unquestionably as she led me into the lift i did wonder who had called the lift however the gilded interior spoke of opulence and wealth despite the empty deserted air of the foyer This must have been a desirable place to live at one time. If not now, I wondered at how the empty place appeared. Where had all the people gone? Surely you're not here all alone? I asked the girl. Isn't there anyone else here? Staff? Residents? She looked uncertain.
2: Sometimes I have visitors. Those who need to find their way here do. People like you, with choices to make.
0: The lift began to move, and the floors glided by, accompanied by the occasional clanking sounds from the lift.
2: Where are we going? Wherever the building feels you need to be. The building? Oh yes, this is a very special place. Not everyone can see it. Only those who need to. I don't understand. No, most people don't at first. But you will soon enough. Well... Some of it,
0: (laughs) she giggled. Finally, the lift came to a standstill. Floor nine,
2: this is our stop,
0: Victoria proclaimed. I followed her out, half expecting to find myself in a deserted corridor. After all, I had not seen another soul since I entered the strange building. To my surprise, I found that the lift opened directly into a great wood-panelled library of colossal proportions. The huge crystal chandelier hung from the ceiling, casting a soft yellow light over the whole room. The occasional rainbow danced on the floors. The stacks seemed to extend back forever, and my head swam in the wonder of it all. The sheer proportions of the place were beyond comprehension. I gasped. "'What is this
2: place?'
0: I asked in hushed tones.
2: "'Have you heard of the Lost Library of Alexandria?' Yes, of course. Well, this is better. This is the Lost Library of Victoria. This is where all the lost literature comes, all the books and scrolls that were ever lost. I say this is first rate. Oh, but I
0: must be dreaming this is too... uh, too... (laughs) The girl laughed at my amazement. She went on ahead of me, skipping happily. She seemed to take great delight in showing me this marble. The child seemed to swing between worldly wisdom and the innocence of childhood. It was an unsettling combination, but I could only stare, mesmerized, as I took in my surroundings. Before me was shelf after shelf, labelled with such legends as, author died before finishing, burnt, banned, disappeared mysteriously. I began to wonder how large the building was that could accommodate such a library. Was I even in the same
2: building? This one over here is one of my personal favourites. It has some excellent books. I spend a good deal of time on that one, said Victoria,
0: guiding me to a stack of books whose vanishing point by no means marked the end. I looked at the name of the section. It stated plainly, rejected by publishers. I walked on looking at all the strange section names. On a table before us lay a manuscript. Beside it, a desk lamp was switched on as though someone had only recently been reading there. I glanced at the title Love's Labours One by William Shakespeare. My eyes fairly bulged. I reached out to grasp the manuscript, only to feel another hand grabbing gently but firmly by the girl as she pulled me onwards. Naughty? <laughs> She giggled.
2: That's not what you came to see.
0: I cast a wistful look back at the desk, but followed on, unresisting. What am I here to see? I asked. This, this is where all the books that never got written come. How can they be here if they were never written? Reality is funny like that. It wasn't a very satisfying answer, but I sensed that was all I was going to get. In front of me, there were several titles, But the books that stood out most were those that weren't fully there, by which odd expression I mean that they were not solid, but seemed to slip in and out of reality, as though not quite belonging, oscillating between existence and non-existence. One particular volume drew my attention as it briefly solidified. For a brief second I saw, on the spine, my own name, and then it was gone. I reached out to touch it, but my fingers slid right through it. The titles were indistinct and seemed to shift out of focus whenever I looked directly at them. Why is it doing that? I asked. Victoria looked at me very seriously. Such a serious expression on the face of so young a child should have been somewhat comical. But I didn't laugh. There was something about this girl that felt considerably older than her years. She reminded me of Dickens' Ghost of Christmas Past, like the book she seemed to be neither one thing nor the other.
2: Because,
0: she said earnestly,
2: it doesn't know where it belongs yet. Its fate is undecided, because yours is undecided. Mine? Yes, if you marry Roddy, then it can never be written, can it? But if you choose not to... I see. Why do you want to marry Roddy? I... That is, well, that's what one does, isn't it? Uh, Get married and settle down? Raise a family? Nothing wrong with that, if that's what you want. But I didn't ask why you wanted to get married. I asked why you wanted to marry Roddy. Oh, well, uh, perhaps you're a little too young
0: to understand. Try me, she said a little defiantly. She crossed her arms and waited. I smiled. All right, is a decent man and he's offering me security and position. Really,
2: it seemed quite natural to be talking to the girl this way. I see. I thought perhaps it might be because you were afraid to try and make your name as a writer in case you failed. Just another woman with pretensions. Oh, but of course I would have loved to have been a writer, but you know my husband wouldn't have proved...
0: <laughs> she giggled at her own mimicry. She was right, of course. I knew she was right. I was marrying Roddy out of fear, not out of love. And that couldn't be fair to either of us.
2: Do you love him?
0: She asked, as if she was reading my thoughts. I'm very fond of him.
2: But do you love him? I'm not sure. I think you are. It is your choice, Mabel. Choose wisely. Every choice has consequences. She led me back to the lift. Well, goodbye, Mabel. I hope I shall get to read your books one day soon. She cast a glance over her shoulder at the library. In one place or another.
0: As I stepped back inside the carriage, I found myself standing in the drawing room at home, face to face with Roddy. For a moment, I stared at him stupidly. The girl, the lift, the library had all gone. And now there was just me and Roddy. It was time to choose. "'Are you all right, Mabel?' Roddy asked. "'You don't look quite up to the mark.' Uh, "'Yes, Roddy, I'm fine,' I answered, attempting to regain some self-possession.
1: "'Well, you know why I'm here, my dear. Have
0: you decided?' I wrestled with a moment's indecision. Then the thought of my books, the books I could never write, never hold in my hands, Ending up on the shelves of that lost place came back to me. The thought of spending my life with a man I didn't love, of giving up any future chance of love. Yes, I had made my decision. I turned down his proposal. He took it rather well, which is more than can be said for my father. Oh, what a fuss he made. But I knew that I didn't love Roddy, and to marry a man I didn't love, A man who would not allow me my dreams, because I was afraid to follow my heart, would have been a death of sorts. That was what the strange little girl in her music box was trying to tell me. Well, there it is. That was the day I decided to become a writer. I never regretted it, not for a moment. It wasn't easy. But it was worth it. Of course, I have married since, and Tony and I are ever so much better suited than Roddy and I ever were. Anyway, that's my story. You may believe I was just spinning you a yarn, but I swear every word of it is truth. Was it dream or reality? I do not know. It sounds like a weird dream, I dare say, and perhaps it was yet there was an unmistakable feeling of reality about the whole thing and I'm convinced it was real. Absolutely convinced. I must admit that the experience so far impressed me that for some time after, I would find myself hesitating in the act of opening a door. Is there really a little girl out there waiting in a forgotten place to guide those with choices to make? I'll let you decide.
3: Plus